My guest today on Mission Impact is Reva Peparden. Reva and I talk about leadership coaching, what it is and what it is not, the extra challenges nonprofit leaders have in investing in themselves in coaching, and why an organization's mission can push people into a constant state of urgency, and how slowing down can actually help them work better and more effectively, and what taking a trauma-informed somatic approach to coaching is key. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. Welcome. Welcome, Eva, to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I like to start each uh, conversation with a question around what drew you to the work that you do? What motivates you and what would you say is your why? Uh-huh. So um, before, so I'm an executive coach and before I was a coach, I worked at a nonprofit for about 14 years and I um, had a lot of different roles there, fundraiser, lobbyist, communications director. Um, and in that time there, I realized that I had a real love of supporting the people around me, um, even when they were doing jobs that I was not necessarily capable of doing. And I also really just had a great deal. So there were, you know, like every nonprofit, we had um, issues with burnout and not every nonprofit, but a lot of nonprofits have that, right? Hashtag not all nonprofits. <laughs> <laughs> um, just <so>, almost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I stuck around because I just really loved the people I worked with. I just admired them so much. Uh, they were so smart and so passionate and just incredibly committed. And I believed in what we were doing, you know? So that was just like all the magic components for me. Uh, so I decided to make a career out of that. And um, yeah, I really feel like the people who are actually out there trying to solve problems that we all face, that are, they are not, there's no, you know, or little profit motive. It's just like, I am here to try to solve this problem. Those are really hard jobs. And those are exactly the people that we need to be figuring out, like, what can we do for you? Right. Um, and so I really feel passionate about asking, you know, what do we need to be doing to make these jobs that are very hard and also very crucial, more sustainable, so that we are not crushing the very people who are carrying our hope for us. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I feel like uh, coaching, um, it's certainly become more prevalent in the for-profit sector and yeah. more well-known. Um, but I feel like there's still quite a few misconceptions about kind of what it is and who it's for, why it's important. So, so how would you describe uh, leadership coaching? Yeah, leadership coaching, and you're right, there is, a, there is quite a gap that I've observed between the nonprofit sector and um, the corporate sector. Uh, the nonprofit sector for whatever reason is, has been behind in really recognizing how important it is to invest in leaders as individuals, as human beings. And that is what leadership coaching is. It's really investing in you. I think that's why it's hard for people. It's hard for an executive director to say, hey, I'm going to spend some money on an executive coach because it's really for her right? It is for her in service of her mission. And when I coach with people, we do have the mission centered in our work, but it is for her and her ability and her passion and her values 
that is part of the process of what we're doing to serve the mission, right? So to, in order to center your own well-being and your own development, I think it's a hard thing for a lot of, a lot of people to do. Um, we're very much conditioned out of that. And I do work with a lot of women, um, but very much conditioned to, to not, um, to always be giving to others, not to ourselves. Um, and um, that is what co coaching does. And um, I think what it is beyond that, I think it varies quite a bit. I think one reason why there's a lot of confusion about what coaching is because it varies quite a bit depending on who you work with. And there's a lot of great ways of coaching out there. Um, and it really is a matter of finding your right fit. So I'm a big believer in find, figuring out, you know, talking to people and finding who's the person who resonates for you. And the way that I work with people is I work with the whole person. That means we're talking about feelings. We're talking about um, the things that really matter to you. Um, we, there's room to talk about what's happening in your home life as well, um, because this you're the same person there, um, and we're um, and we're always looking for what is life and work asking of you right now. What edge are you at? Where the way you did things before it got you to where you are. Let's thank those methods. Let's honor that. And what new edge is life asking you to meet right now? Yeah, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate the uh, kind of whole whole person perspective um, that, you know, just going against that myth that we kind of park all that stuff at the door when we come to work, you know, it's all there. Uh, whether we talk about it or not, it's all there. Um, so one of the things that you focus on when you're, when you're working with nonprofit leaders is somatics. Can you tell me a little bit about what somatics is and kind of how that, uh, how you incorporate that into your coaching? Yeah. Um, so when I work with someone somatically, what I'm doing is the reason I do that is I find it's one of the quickest paths for someone to access their innate wisdom. So when I'm working with someone, I'm not, um, it's not consulting because I'm not providing you with a bunch of answers. I might offer ideas. I might thought partner with you but I'm not offering you suggestions. What I'm doing is I'm asking questions to help you figure out and feel into what is right for you. And it's that feeling into that is the power of coaching. And I really see um, one of my goals as a coach is when someone walks away from their work with me, one of the things they've learned is how to listen to themselves very deeply and what are the ways they can be with themselves? How can they, you know, what, what ways of being with yourself and coaching yourself can you practice and learn that help you learn how to get unstuck so that you become someone who, so everybody gets stuck, but do you stay stuck or do you know how to get yourself unstuck? Um, and all of that is, um, starts with being able to really slow your mind down. Um, and the container of coaching for that is really it's a powerful container because that's what we're doing is we're slowing ourselves down and we're pausing and we're noticing in the moment, right. As an emotion came up or right. As something important was said, we're slowing down and saying what's happening there in the body and what guidance can we get from that? So somatics being about paying attention to what's going on in the body, not just what we're thinking. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I feel like, you know, folks are, 
it's always been there, right? Like we've always been in these bodies and yet for in, in our culture, um, at least in the US uh, context, there's been this kind of mythical separation of our mind and our body. Um, how do you find uh, how much resistance or kind of acceptance do you find when you're working with folks to kind of step into that that kind of work? Yeah, so I um, I um, I always meet people where they are, right? I think that's really important. That's a, one of my core values, and um, I don't push, right? I um, respect people's boundaries. That's another core value, and um, and but I do invite, right? And I find that most of the time people welcome that because what they are experiencing in their day to day life is a lot of speed a lot of fast pace, a lot of rushing from one task to another. So what it often feels like is just having a chance to finally take a breath. And then it's like, okay, what is it like for you when you get to take a breath? Let's just spend some time noticing that. Um, I don't experience people, I think part of it is because a lot of folks, and this isn't true for everybody, but a lot of my clients do seem to get pretty quickly the value of tuning in. It's just, it's something we all, innately are able to do it's just that it's conditioned out of us so when you remind you're reminded suddenly that oh this is something I can do maybe you haven't done it since you were four but oh this is something that I can do it's not um you know it's not wild or scary it's just like <laughs> this is a thing I can do yeah and and I feel like in so, so many of the conversations that I have um with other coaches, consultants, diff doing different work, different work with organizations, you know, individuals, there's almost always some element of that. Let's just slow down for a minute. Let's take a pause. Let's take a step back. Let's, you know, try to pull you out of that rush, 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 meeting after meeting kind of uh, mentality that, that gives people just a little bit more space to, to think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what if we could have that more and more in our lives, right? right. What if right. as a leader, I had the ability to, um, you know, um, to pause and to actually say, you know, I'm a leader in this organization and I'm going to decide to actually program into my day to day and set boundaries, time to reflect and pause. And that is a priority because, um, because when I do that, I'm better at my job. And so part of the, and, and it sounds, like, I think a lot of times people are um, truly experiencing urgency in their work, right? There's urgency coming from somewhere, right? And often people are working with or serving communities that are experiencing urgency. And so it sounds, it sounds um, really, um, it can sound bizarre, you know, or it can like, who am I to slow down? Um, why do I get to do this and all of that stuff? But one of the things that can happen with coaching is you start to see, oh, this actually is going to help me serve, be more in service than I currently am, because it'll help me actually see the forest rather than just the trees. Um, if I'm constantly moving from one task to the other, I'm never able to ask the big questions. Or if I'm asking the big questions, I'm not able to do anything about it. And there's the kind of undercurrent of frustration there of, there are things I'd like to do and I, there's no space to do it. Yeah. 
And I think when the when the leader actually does that, and then you know people see that on their calendar or they talk about it, it starts to give permission for other people to also do that within the organization, and you know question this whole culture that we have of you know rush, 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 busy, busy, busy. You know every job description saying you must be comfortable in a fast-paced environment. You know, yeah. and uh, I mean, what my little step in that direction is to try to stop. You know, when it's the first part of part of a conversation and the hi, how are you? Oh, I, I'm, you know, oh, it's been so, it's been so hectic. It's been so busy. I try to avoid actually saying that, whether it's true or not, because I just feel like it, it plays into this um, myth that we all have to live that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to be real. I also often live that way. Sure. I often also feel um, overwhelmed and rushed and all that stuff. It's just that I think one of the gifts of doing this work is I don't feel as guilty about slowing down because I know that I can't lead from that rushed place. I can get things done, but that's different than leading. I haven't quite managed letting go of all of the guilt yet. I'm working on it. Yeah, I, I, I said mostly or something mostly okay that's yeah. that, that sounds good that sounds good but it's gotten better yeah so you also take a, a trauma-informed approach and I feel like I am hearing this a lot with with clients that I'm working with that they're taking a trauma-informed approach with their clients what does it actually mean to be trauma-informed um it means being um careful of your impact mm. I think it takes, uh, I think it means having some humility and respect for the person that's in, that's in front of you. Um, I think it's being aware that, um, that there is a lot of trauma more so than ever, I think, in the world. And um, there are tools to help people. It's having a, a toolbox to offer people around, around that. And it's knowing your lane. So I'm not a therapist. And if I'm really, um, if I'm seeing real trauma with someone, then um, I'm going to refer them to someone who can can help them with that. Um, and it and it's not that. Um, and when I say trauma, I mean like a level of trauma that I can't deal with. But there is a certain level of trauma we're all carrying, I think. And so everyone has to kind of skill up for that. Um, and part of it is it's respecting those boundaries. It's like whatever defenses this person has, they're there for a good reason. And so let's not pretend they're not there for a good reason. And so I do work with people around understanding their defenses and slowly loosening them, but I work slowly, which my, one of my, um, one of the things that I really believe in is um, in order to move quickly, you have to slow down, go move slow to go fast. Right. So that is, the most often the most effective way towards transformation is just having patience, continuing to meet whatever's happening in the moment um, and not rush it, not push it because that's ultimately not gonna work anyways. Um, yeah, that's how, how I think about it. Can you give me an example of what some of those kind of defense mechanisms might be and, and kind of how to, you know, I don't know, that skilling up that you kind of talked about in that yeah. arena? Yeah. So, um, so I work with, so I work with people around emotions, right? So as you said, it's, it's the whole person who's coming in the room. Um, and, um, you know, 
I see coaching as where we get to work with the human side of our challenges. And so if someone's coming in with a challenge and we're unpacking, what is the, what is the human part of this and focus on that? So there's emotions coming up. So I'm making space for those and we're, 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 um, we're unpacking that, we're working with that. Um, like what's behind these emotions? What are some thoughts, um, some, some mindsets or thoughts that are there? What are some wounds that need a little bit of space there? And if I find someone who, if I find that someone is, you know, um, that's really hard to be with a certain emotion, I respect that. So we move slowly, so we titrate. So it's like, okay, so what if you're just with this emotion for one second, just to see what it is, right? And then we back off, we intentionally back off. Right? So, um, and I might offer them something to practice on their own. That's just like, just saying hello to this part of you that feels this way, um, you know, once a day, and then you just back away and then slow, you very slowly increase capacity to be with it. So that's one tool. That's awesome. Yeah. So my tagline for my podcast is helping nonprofit leaders have greater mission impact without becoming a martyr to the cause. Um, how do you see how do you see that show up with folks you work with and and how are you trying to contribute to shifting this culture of overwork and extraction in the sector? Yeah, so I'll tell you one of the things that I've been seeing a lot lately. And I think it was always there and I've just started to be able to, beginning to catch on to it more. Um, but I've noticed that uh, that there are certain um, very prevalent toxic dynamics in the nonprofit sector that when you are in the middle of that dynamic, when you're really a part of it, it can feel like a personal problem, mm. right? So something's going wrong and um, in the organization, but because it feels like a personal problem, I treat it like a personal problem. So, um, and so what happens there is um, if you, so if you imagine you're a leader in an organ, you're an ED and things aren't going right. And the thing that's not going, it really feels like the thing that's not going right is me and my efforts to address it have failed. So what do I do? Like, what do you do in that situation is you hide it, you hide the problem, right? If you blame yourself for the problem and you haven't been able to adequately address it, you hide the problem. And so you're then unable to do anything about it, right? And so like some um, examples I've seen of this are um, executives who've gotten really good at hiding their overwhelm um, and um, because they're, it's just become this really normalized thing that their funders don't fund overhead. And it's been like that for so long um, that it's just a completely normalized, a, a culture where overwhelm and burnout are just normal. And so if you're overwhelmed or if you have a problem with being overwhelmed, that's a problem with you, right? And so let's hide that rather than actually trying to figure out how to do it, you feel compelled to hide it. Another example is like, um, so you have, um, say your you, part of your job is going to speak um, at, a, at represent your, your organization in your community at community meetings where there's politicians or whatever, and you feel very anxious about it and you're ashamed of that anxiety. Well, um, when it's not the anxiety that's the problem, the problem is the fact that you are the sole member, you're the sole representative of your community, 
no one else in the room looks like you. You're the only person of color in the room, you know, um, and that's the problem because you feel ashamed of the anxiety. You're trying to solve the problem yourself um, and um, trying to hide the fact that you feel the anxiety. It's like it actually very normal to feel anxious in that situation. That's not the problem. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, I think people in this situation, it's like they're, they might be, um, this is just ripe for a very ripe moment for imposter syndrome. So they might be thinking like, you know, someone else could be doing this job better. The person who was in this role before me did it better. Um, and, um, or, um, or they might be thinking like, you know, I'm the least competent person in this room, you know, all of that stuff, which makes it feel like this is a problem with me. And so that's, and that's just paralyzing. Um, so, you know, what I do is, you know, I help people take their power back and find their voice. Um, part one, by realizing you're not crazy. This is a genuinely hard situation. You're not broken. Um, so taking your power back, um, finding the things that you can do in your immediate sphere to take action. Um, and really, and just to kind of the whole taking your power back thing, that's like, you know, what I try to do is I help, try to help my clients see it for themselves. So it's not just me telling them, it's like sure. help them see it for themselves and actually feel it, actually mm -hmm. feel the mm -hmm. truth that, oh, oh, I see. It's not me, right? And so from that place, you can take action. And the, the fact is most of these problems, they are much bigger than one person, right? So, and it may be a long game, but just starting the process of um, strategizing and, and um, planning out how can you get more resourced in this? Who can you reach out to? Who's gonna be your support system? Who are gonna be your collaborators in actually problem solving this, right? So um, it's putting the problem where it belongs, which is, in the collective, right? Not in the individual. Yeah, and even some of the things that you talked about at the very beginning of kind of who am I to slow down or who am I to invest in myself and get coaching goes to this whole mindset of, um, you know, if you're passionate about your, your issue and you have to give it all and this kind of right. selflessness of the helper and um, that can be just, you know, it's just a recipe for, yeah, recipe for burnout. It's like, here, here are the five steps to burnout. Here you go. Go do these. <laughs> go believe yeah. these things. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's also, um, it's a recipe for burnout for the people in those jobs. And I think there is a wake-up call going on for the sector. If it's not happening already, it's going to very soon because there is this um, uh, emerging sense that people don't want to put up with any of this crap anymore in their jobs. Right. And it's getting harder and harder to fill executive director roles. You know, it's um, um, in the for profit sector, being a CEO is seen as like this glamorous thing. And I think part of that is because well, part of that is like the ridiculous salaries. And we don't necessarily want to model ourselves after that. Part of it is that they have resources, they have support to do what they need to do. They don't. Um, and so, um, so in the nonprofit sector, it's, I think, becoming, being an ED, it's like, it should, you should feel proud. You should feel proud of being an executive director or being a leader, a, a development director, communications director, any, any, like any role, like doesn't just, not just at the director level, but you should be proud. Anyone should be proud to work in the nonprofit sector. 
whether you're entry level fundraiser, I started out in the, as a door-to-door -door canvasser, we should feel proud of our work, right? But I think one of the reasons it's very hard to feel proud of our work is because we don't feel appreciated, right? And we, um, there is that undervaluing and a big part of that is not being supported in the work, right? You're just allowed to flail. And so, and so people are saying, you know, no, why, why, why would I do that to myself? You know, yeah, just the sense it's like never enough. Yeah. Um, and but the fact is, is, I think that we actually still need the nonprofit sector in this country. We live in a country where this is the way it's set up right now. And if if we um, want to be able to solve big problems, we have to be able to do work that centers impact and not profit. We just have to do it. And maybe there are sweeping changes that need to happen. But this is where it is right now. And how do we not lose all our wonderful people? Yeah, no, I am seeing that, that, and, and just hearing people talk about it, that, you know, kind of this underbelly of the sector that's always, probably always been there, um, and various, I don't know, historical reasons for that, um, and just this mythology uh, that, that gets exploited, um, and, and folks are saying, you know, no, no more, um, how can we do this differently, you know, this doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Um, but it's hard to step out. It's hard to step out and, and do it in a, you know, um, to work on being countercultural, right? Or even at the individual level. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I do this work. It's like, okay, I if I think that this is important work and I really want there to be people doing it, how do we support them? How do we find ways to make this work for them? Um, if the mission matters, then so do the people are working for the mission right right yeah all the people involved mattered matter for sure we'll be back after this quick break mission impact is sponsored by grace social sector consulting grace social sector consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact download free resources on strategic planning program portfolio review design thinking and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. Um, so at the end of every episode, I play a game where I ask one moderately random uh, icebreaker question. Um, so I've got, I always get out three cards from my little box. Um, so if you, for, for any place that you've visited, what's, what's a place that you would love to go back to? Ooh, Bali. Mm, say more. Oh man. So it Bali is um a beautiful place. Um now I'm worried about promoting tourism to a place that maybe can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to Bali. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean it's I, I was there um maybe 10 years ago. So and um oh it was just it was just the, the people are just very, are just very open and lovely. And um, the, the nature was just beautiful and gorgeous. And um, it, every anytime I go to a different country, I think um, I've been to India many times as well. Um, it's my, my parents' mother country. Um, um, I've been to Mexico, you know, I've been, I've been, Anytime I go to another country, I just feel a sense of freedom mm. you know? because um, it's like um, something about just like now I, I don't have to follow the usual rules here, you know, 
And um, yeah. Yeah, and I have this, the sense of even when you're kind of going, you're, you're breaking cultural rules in the other country, they kind of give you a pass of like, oh, they're a foreigner, but they don't know. <laughs> so yeah. they yeah. have a little bit of leeway and can. Uh, yeah, and also like, you know. And people give you a little grace. Yeah, yeah, people give you a little grace. And it's it's more, it's just like, it's lovely to just get out of the water that I'm usually swimming in. Yeah. You know, it's lovely to get out of what I define or what we define as normal here just sure. to leave for a while. Yeah. 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 My, my parents, um, first posting in the foreign service was in Indonesia. So we have many home movies from there and from Bali. This was before me, but, uh, um, would love to go visit. I'm sure it'd be totally different than when they were there in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a place on the list. So Thank you. So what are you excited about? What's coming up for you in your in your work and what's emerging? Yeah, the, the thing I'm most excited about is my work with my one-on-one -on -one coaching clients. Um, there is something so powerful about that moment when someone faces the truth of the challenging moment they're in and starts to sort through you know, what are the things that are in your power to influence and what are the things that are bigger than you that you can reach out for help on and what starts to become more possible for you when you stand in an unconditional sense of your own belonging and the unconditional belonging of your community. It is really beautiful, powerful, transformative work and it's a real honor and a joy to be able to do it. Um, it's the thing I love doing more than anything. And I'm, I feel blessed to be able to do this work. And if people, if anyone listening would like to talk to me about the possibility of working together, um, please come to my website, greatergoodcoaching.org and reach out to me there. I would love to talk to you. It's been a long time and I've been at this kind of work for a bunch of years now and I have a lot of new, a lot of new things to say and I'm excited about saying them. Excellent. Yeah. So what would you say are your top three thing, new things to say? Well, this is one of them is just seeing this, um, this relationship between imposter syndrome and um, the nonprofit sector's inability to address major problems um, that are sector-wide or organization-wide um, and to see that imposter syndrome is not an individual problem. It's, it's actually baked right into the structures of the nonprofit sector. And, and our society if, for, for various yeah. identities. If you've been questioned your entire life, yes. then you will learn to question yourself. Yeah. In your capacity. And when you have not, less so. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. And thank you for all you do for nonprofit leaders. I really appreciate it and appreciate the conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I appreciated how Reva described her approach for helping her coaching clients deal with uncomfortable emotions. It's not a matter of all in. It's a matter of step by small step. Titrating is the word she used meeting folks where they are and only going as far as a little bit beyond their comfort zone. 
to be with it for just a little bit and then back off. I also appreciated her broader perspective on the toxic cultures that too often emerge within nonprofit organizations. Overwork, overwhelm, burnout, all in the, all in the name of the mission and the, the um, cause. And when you're part of it, it feels personal. And sometimes it may seem like it's embedded in the personalities of those around you. And as a leader, it can feel like a personal problem as well. And that can lead to denial, avoidance, and hiding from the challenge instead of addressing it. So instead, by naming it, leaders and staff can take their power back and address that elephant in the room. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Riva, her full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I'd also like to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as April Kuster of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Please take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the podcast, and we really appreciate it. And until next time, thank you for everything that you do to contribute and make an impact.